When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the John Favreau's My Daddy podcast with Jessica Garcia and Monica Montoya. Hello. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Monica. Hello, Jessica. How are you? I'm swell. I have my cup of coffee. I have my skull. I have my crackers, my alphabet crackers. I'm happy. <laughs> me too. These also, are the things in life. It's Halloween today. It is me, skull and bones. Monica's <laughs> <laughs> holding up a skull while she says that. As if I was Mr. Hamlet himself. <laughs> it is I, Mr. Hamlet and my skull, smaller Hamlet Jr. <laughs> And we recite songs and also poems and soliloquies in the moonlight. And we say, to be or not to be. <laughs> and we, we honestly, we debate everything from crescent to life. So follow us in our journey beyond the Halloween times. Once again, I'm Mr. Hamlet, and this is Mr. Hamlet, Smaller Hamlet Jr. Where did Monica, where's my I don't know where she went. Monica! Ha- Hello, Monica. M- Monica? It is I. Oh, she's back. <laughs> I'm back. I missed you for a, for a minute yeah, there. I had uh, Mr. Hamlet come on and uh, help us out. That's nice. He's a nice surprise guest. He's a nice man. It's Halloween. It is Halloween it's today. The same as every other day in the quarantine <laughs> times. And while this is not a Halloween episode, <sighs> it is being recorded on. Halloween. I know. It's nice that we're at least doing like one Halloween movie. Yeah, we do movie. have one a Halloween movie. It just happens to be a movie that Jack Nicholson's in. Yes. And that <laughs> is who the guest to today. Be. The guest? He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> like, our guest, Jack Nicholson. Hi. <laughs> he comes out for nobody but this podcast. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't even go to man. Laker games ever anymore. But he comes on this podcast. <laughs> A niche, niche Jack Nicholson fans. You, you know, know where to find him. He loves it. He loves it. <laughs> Friend of the pod. <laughs> but yeah, so today we're talking about Jack Nicholson. Um, we kind of picked three films sort of at random uh, out of his filmography. What do you, yeah, how do you feel Yeah, which about is this? incredibly extensive, by the way. Jack it, Nicholson. Very extensive. I mean, he's an immense. In Amer- I was going to say an American treasure, but I don't know where the accent came from. Uh, he's an American treasure. Sure. Yes. Uh, and there is nothing that he has done that I don't like. Uh, no, he's he's incredible. I definitely think we'll do another episode or more. Maybe more. On him yeah. in the future. I just didn't feel inclined to do like a multi-parter right now. Uh, Jack Nicholson is one of those like daddies that has an insane filmography yeah so like there's a daddy you know like daniel day lewis right he's made like one film <laughs> and then he became like a cobbler 10, but yeah <laughs> and then he became a cobbler uh that jack nicholson did not become a cobbler he's no. been acting since he was a young man yeah. and now he's an old man and he's still acting not to be confused with gary oldman well he's not still acting he's he, the last thing he was in was like 10 years ago no 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 he's still acting you <laughs> 
go to his house, watch oh, okay. him perform his skits. Have you been to the private theater of that he does? Of course there? I have. Oh. Friend of the pod, remember? I I'm not I don't get invited, so he must be. He like does you more. so you know what's so funny is Jack Jackie. We call him Jackie. Uh <laughs> He does these incredible skits around uh, Thanksgiving time. It's like, oh, you know, Pilgrims so you're going to be heading over there soon. Uh, kind of. I didn't get invited this year, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably just crazy. Of, it's yeah, probably crazy. just because of COVID. It's because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he has so many movies that we were just like, we can't even arrange these, but like by genre, we can't arrange these by time period. So let's just pick three that we like and then we'll do Move more on. later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start with a little, a little bit of background info. Background on our boy Jack. Jack Nicholson is arguably one of the biggest daddies around. Not the biggest in terms of size. The biggest in terms of scope, <laughs> scope and talent. He first came to Hollywood in 1954 when he was 17 and took a job as an office worker for Hanna Barbera, where he was offered a job as an animator, but he declined because he wanted to be an actor. How cute. He then made his film debut in 1958 in The Crybaby Killer, playing the title role. But it wasn't until 1969 when he got his big break in Easy Rider, giving him his first Oscar nomination. Woo. After his role in 1970's Five Easy Pieces and his second Oscar nomination, Jack was officially considered a leading man and an American anti-hero, frequently being compared to Marlon Brando and James Dean. Since then, Jack's career has skyrocketed. His talent has earned him 17 Golden Globe nominations with six wins, three SAG Award nominations with one win, seven BAFTA nominations with three wins, one Grammy win, and 12 Academy Award nominations with three wins, making him the most nominated male performer in the acting categories. He's also a daddy to five children. Whoa. That's that a lot. That was a fucking <laughs> mouthful, Jessica. Damn. You know, he's highly decorated He's and decorated regarded man. incredible <laughs> z um c uh first of all i fucking love that he has so many fucking nominations and like minimal <laughs> wins in each category yeah. <laughs> yeah. but he, he got nominated and won that one grammy though i know he, which... re he really brought it home <laughs> he really like he really came through with the grammy yeah, yeah, yeah. win yeah, yeah. he really said all right I'm throwing this out there. I'm throwing it down. I'm laying down these tracks. It's me, I think Jackie was, N. I think he read like the audiobook of a children's story. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what Can it you was. imagine Jack Nicholson like in the studio? No, I can't. <laughs> because I really get off. Uh, all right. A little background on The Shining. The Shining. 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, based on the novel by Stephen King, an iconic novel. Speaking of novels, a novelist, Jack Torrance, played by uh, Jack Nicholson, takes a job interview as a winter caretaker of the isolated, old, huge, and beautiful Overlook Hotel. Jack brings his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, and his son, Danny. It happens that Danny has a mysterious power known as The Shining. Danny meets Halloran, the hotel cook in their first day, arriving at the Overlook, who warns them about the hotel and the sinister room 237. As the days go by, Danny has visions. Meanwhile, Jack starts diving into insanity, turning more and more aggressive at the point that Danny and Wendy get convinced that Jack might try to do something terrible. 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 And something terrible he tries to do. So they were right. 
he tries to fucking murder them <laughs> yep yep it's pretty bad <laughs> pretty gnarly you know they like opening the opening track the opening beat <laughs> yeah yeah the fat beat it's I, like uh, that's the one (laughs) the (laughs) fucking sick beat it slaps (laughs) so hard this is one of those movies where like i i don't find it that scary to me to me at least yeah but like the score is what makes it scary scary. i was like when i was watching it i had seen it once before but not in a long time and so when i was watching it this time i was like I think if I like turned off the sound, I would feel fine. I agree. (laughs) Watching this. I agree. Uh, I just want to point out the fact that like the, I think I, if I remember correctly, like one of the opening shots is just like them driving up the fucking mountain Mm -hmm. and like, that's it. Nothing scary is happening, but you feel like you want to fucking vomit because it's just like, yeah, and then it gets that really like high pitched sound yeah, happening. It's uh, fucking terrible. I, don't uh, like it. I just want to first acknowledge and talk about the hotel. Yes, uh, it's gorgeous. Beautiful. It is a beautiful like I want to say like it's a ski lodge, but it's like a just a beautiful like paradise. Mm-hmm. It's got these gorgeous windows, these insane like seventies floor, like the carpet. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realize that, like, they used totally different sets for everything. I that, know. Like, the outside of the hotel is just this random place in Oregon. I know. I mean, it's not random. It's a hotel. <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> we're not trying to shade the hotel or anything. And then everything else is just, like, sets. Um, But the fucking interiors are crazy Stunning. good. They're so fucking good. It almost makes me sad that, like, all the blood gets everywhere. <laughs> I know. It is kind of sad. Um, I remember when um, Halloween Horror Nights did like one of one of their mazes was like a shining maze. Um, And at that point in time, I had like very recently seen The Shining Mm -hmm. and they included like a bunch of, um, you know, the scene where um, Jack Torrance like walks is outside with the axe and he's fucking all crazy looking and Mm -hmm. he's like walking through all all those hedges that are like littered with snow. Yeah, the maze. Uh, The maze. The maze. It's amazing. Um, And they had that and they had just a bunch of like uh, tax horrences. Jack Torrance's (laughs) running around with like axes in the middle of this like it's Los Angeles. It doesn't fucking snow. But in a snowy maze. But in a snowy maze. And uh, it wasn't terrifying. I don't like I've never been to Halloween Horror Nights, but don't plan on ever going. Oh, no. Sounds scary. <laughs> it was not scary. That's what I'm trying to say is it was not scary. I think it was just the music. For you, I think. And I think maybe his face. <laughs> I think maybe his face was scary. Jack Nicholson does this thing in The Shining and in other films where he like bears his teeth. Yeah, that's um, like his thing where he his raises thing. his eyebrows. And he bears and his he bears teeth. His teeth. It makes him look very like primal. It makes him look, yeah. It makes him look very primal. It's very aggressive. Yeah. But like, even if his body's not doing anything, when he makes that face, it's you can kind of like see. You know how when a shark is like about to kill someone, Mm -hmm. its eyes like turn black. Yeah. It's very like akin to that. Yeah, and then he also tends to like very quickly go from that to this like dropping his face. Yeah, which is equally which horrifying. Is equally terrifying. <laughs> he does it a lot in The Shining. Yeah, yeah, he does yeah. it a lot like throughout a lot of his different films for different reasons, obviously. But yeah, it always elicits the same reaction of like, Ugh. well, that's one of the things that like one of the big points I have about his acting in this movie because I mean, 
you know, it's not 2020. It was made 40 years ago. But yeah. he had still had a very an extensive career at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like people, for the most part, knew who he was and he had a reputation. Yeah. Like he was quickly becoming like, you know, a Meryl. Um, and yet, like he has such a reputation and he's so recognizable and yet he stays fresh and like so believable in every single role. Um, it's just really, really impressive, especially in a, in a movie like this where like the horror, a lot of it isn't like visual. Agreed. I mean, some of the shock value for the audience is like what, what, what he himself is going through at the beginning, at least none of it is visual. No, it's all mental and so to still be able to see his like descent into madness is really fucking scary but also like really impressive it's very impressive i know i know like me watching the film and only sort of like because obviously for this time around i only had to look at jack nicholson's performance Mm -hmm. only seeing him it was like a very different experience from just taking in the movie as a whole simply because Jack Nicholson is not very scary in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's really not. He's, he's, you know, he maybe, he might not be like a stand-up guy, right? Like sure. his character. But he's still, he has a sort of like innocence to him. And for only, for Jack Nicholson and only Jack Nicholson to be able to pour into the character and create these instances where he is diving into madness yeah. and the things around him might not be, I think that that, that is a testament to his his abilities as an actor because if you took Jack Nicholson and like mm-hmm. placed him in placed him in like a in a black box and took away like all the sets and you just played the movie from the beginning to the end like it's still a really fucking scary film because it's just yeah. within him and it's in his face and it's in his eyes and it's in the way that like you'll notice that like he starts like hunching over a little bit like throughout the whole movie like as it progresses yeah, and then he like gets that kind of limp he gets that kind of limp yeah, and yeah. like he looks he looks visceral and like primal and really aggressive and scary mm-hmm. and that comes from just him from the beginning until the end yeah so I don't know. I freaking love him in this film. I think that he makes this film. I mean, I, I also love Shelley Duvall. She's incredible. She's so good. She's so good. I I do think she doesn't serve a, a huge purpose. <laughs> I know, but that was like, you know, she's, she's not given a, woman a whole lot. But <laughs> in the eighties, it's fun. <laughs> but yeah, she she is amazing. Um, something that I was impressed with with both of them is that like you're not given a whole lot of idea of who they are as people right um like quite frankly at the beginning you're like i don't know who they are no like i don't know what they're like i don't know what their personalities are like like you know very very little and yet you also know that they're that jack nicholson is transitioning into something else mm-hmm. and because of his transition shelly duvall is then turning into a sort of different person because she has to react obviously to her husband yeah she cries a lot more exactly and screams and is like genuinely terrified so like even though you have pretty much no no foundation of who they are as people you still realize that something is shifting and it's something really bad which i think is really difficult to do i think in a lot of movies that wouldn't work because you're like well like we can't judge we can't judge the shift because we don't know where we started right you know but here that is the case but it's still so fucking drastic that it's terrifying it's believable yeah which makes it terrifying um word on the street is shelly duvall cried so much that she fucking ran out of tears 
Oh my God. <laughs> she literally had to have like a million water bottles around her at all times. So she was just chugging them constantly. So she would be able to cry for Mr. Cooper. <laughs> oh, poor Shelly. Oh, sweet lady. Cause she was so good though. Her, were, little, her little Southern accent. I know her little Southern accent. Danny, <laughs> Danny. <laughs> uh, Jack, don't kill me, Jack. <laughs> Wow, is this is this has Shelly Duvall me. come on to the pod? Shelly Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that good of a Doc. an impression. It's just Doc. really funny. <laughs> Doc. Doc. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. oh. Anyway, um another thing that I really really liked about his performance is that like you can still see moments where like him as a father comes through, even though he's fully like the devil. Absolutely. At certain times. He's, he is fully uh, the horny devil. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, like, like he has horns. Like, like there's that, there's that um, scene where him, he's talking to Danny on the bed mm-hmm. and he starts telling him that they're going to stay there forever. Yes, yes, yes. And it's really creepy. Yes. <laughs> but he's still being like, very paternal yeah um i just think it's really interesting that obviously he and and the writers made the choice for that to be present because you know there are lines that show that as well but you can also see it in his in his physicality in his body and just how he relates in space to danny right um they coexist yeah exactly the father and the and the what demon devil force (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) They're pals. Daddy devil. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I like that a lot. I thought that was um, a really great part. And obviously it eventually leaves him because at one point he's just like, no, I'm going to fucking kill my kid. But (laughs) (laughs) Casual. It's casual. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times people really credit like Stanley Kubrick for the entirety of the film. Uh And I get that. I mean, a director has to have a vision and they have to execute it really well and make sure everyone else is on board and yeah uh, i think in terms of this movie though the bulk of the work was done by the actors yeah um i think jack nicholson and like especially like jack nicholson and shelly duvall um i think like they carried this film like on their backs um yeah because it would not be and like it would not be the film that it is without jack nicholson's performance no and then shelly duvall acting alongside him and opposite him well especially because um the writers you know stanley kubrick and um the other one what's her name (laughs) diane johnson yeah um they changed a lot of the story uh from the book and i know some people get mad about that but some people really like it i'm a fan i've never read the book so i can't you know attest to that but i think it it, i think even though they made such big changes to like the actual story Mm -hmm. the characters were still consistent which Mm -hmm. means that the core of the story was still consistent exactly so it didn't really end up mattering in my opinion exactly (laughs) which is why it does not bother me yeah yeah and that's that's down to the acting in a lot of ways i mean clearly they were directed well um but you know they had to bring it and a lot of this shit is really hard to do like over and over and over again like watching that scene with jack nicholson where he goes to the bar for the first time oh my god and he just fucking monologues for like 50 years yeah for like seven minutes or something like that which is a very long time to be monologuing (laughs) and you 
he has such drastic shifts in like his insanity right um just in those like seven minutes yeah in his <laughs> facial expression and his body and like how quick he's talking it's crazy and i can imagine how exhausting that is to do as an actor not to mention that the movie is physically exhausting right i mean just i mean think about think about how many how meticulous this movie had to be because of its director yeah. right stanley kubrick stanley kubrick has a really um specific reputation yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then being i mean you have to be a fucking pro to handle all of that mm-hmm. and to be able to take that direction and to do it over and over and over again and be treated in such a visceral way and having to do things really consistently every single time to it, it's it's like being it's like putting these actors in an incubator of perfection it's like it really messes them up i know that i've read several interviews with shelly duvall and jack nicholson and both of them were like that was the hardest thing i've ever had to do in my entire life yeah like period point blank period um especially shelly duvall being who she was she just like a lot of the time she felt almost like singled out by stanley kubrick mm-hmm. and like that she had to give if jack nicholson gave 100 percent, she had to give 120 percent. yeah so and i i mean obviously part, part of that had to be she was a woman and she wasn't necessarily uh the lead lead mm-hmm. uh but i think that a lot of it I, I think movies like this can be made not like basically destroying your actors yeah <laughs> i think that that's possible for you i mean me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, you wouldn't know, Jessica? I wouldn't know. I don't know. Because on the one hand, like, sure, their their talent should speak for itself in a way. But also, like, the story is about being pushed to the ends of your, you know. Limits. Yeah, being pushed to your limits. I don't know if you can do that on your own I sometimes. I think a lot of times you do need an external force I wasn't on the set. I don't know what goes on. Well, I was on the set. I was on the set of The Shining and on the set of The Exorcist and on the set of Poltergeist. So I would know. (laughs) I would know. I'm a ghost. Um, No, I think I I just think that that talking about this movie and talking about specifically like the amount of effort that Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall put in. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth it's worth it it warrants a conversation about like whether the limits that specifically like actors have to go to in order to produce a work of perfection sure the shining is considered to be a a near perfect film mm-hmm. um i mean so is uh so is back to the future and et or whatever it's <laughs> fine all is well and they, they don't they don't got axes in them so you know or like but this maces. does have axes in it <laughs> i was gonna say also talk about like truly the scariest weapon in the world an axe because like at first you're like it can't be that scary it can't get me from a distance but like that shit's aggressive if you swang it (laughs) you gotta swang it really good Mm -hmm. um i think you know obviously there's the iconic scene where he's like whacking the fucking door and and the camera's like following the following the axe the whole time it's so good it just whips back and forth i'm like i'm you can't see Monica's me. demonstrating it. <laughs> like, it's like every time he he's like meh, and the camera goes wah, and he goes bang, and the camera goes bang, and then it, he keeps hitting the door and like chopping it open. And yeah. word on the street is that he was like fucking sixty or seventy doors, <laughs> and I did it like sixty or seventy times. Um, but 
you know, and he he fucking finally breaks it open and is like, here's Johnny. <laughs> uh, it's fucking terrifying. I don't care how many times that like clip is played at like the Universal lot or whatever yeah, yeah, the fuck yeah. it's played. I don't care how many times it's played. It's still fucking scary. And yes. Axe is a scary weapon. And Axe is a really scary weapon, especially because like, oh my God, I just, I was putting, when I was watching this, this last time I was putting myself in Shelly Duvall's shoes in that tiny bathroom. Oh my God. She can't open the window enough to crawl out and she just has to sit there and watch this fucking ax come at her. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can no. you imagine? No, I can't. I cannot imagine. Uh, <laughs> Shelly. Jack. <laughs> Why? But then he just, you know, it, it's funny because it's like it was such a kind of like i guess fast but also sort of slow it was a slow burn i would slow say slow burn yeah and then all of a sudden it just fucking ends i know and it just <laughs> very quickly like cuts to him dead in the snow and you're like okay all right thanks for the relief <laughs> thanks for that cool thank you and he just freezes to death <laughs> what a way to go <laughs> um you know watching watching him freeze to death i mean the we only didn't watch it we just saw no, the, I know. the product but uh <laughs> i thought to myself oh yes this is hell freezing over <laughs> this is what that is yeah i guess literally you're right literally <laughs> i never understood that phrase like oh i'll do it when hell freezes over it's because it'll never happen but it, it happened <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it happened in the shining in the shining, oh my god, in no. the shining, shining, shining. <laughs> you can cut it now. We're done. In the shining, oh we're all in the shining now. <laughs> oh, oh boy, sorry. That, well, that was the shining. I was the shining. That was Jack Nicholson in the, the shining. shining. Um, so now we're going to move to 17 years later. <laughs> what a fucking time jump. <laughs> Two. I, I fucking love this movie. This is one of my personal, like, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was a wee lad. So <laughs> what movie is it? Yesica? This is As Good As It Gets. Mm. 1997. Directed by James L. Brooks. Written by Mark Andrus and James L. Brooks. Icons. Icons only. Melvin Udall. What a name. <laughs> Monica just did a spit take. Oh my God. Melvin Udall, played by Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it is it is a it is a ridiculous name. <laughs> a cranky, bigoted, obsessive, compulsive writer is rude to everyone he meets, including his gay neighbor Simon, played by Greg Kinnear. But when he has to look after Simon's dog, whose name is Verdell. <laughs> Verdell. He begins to soften and, if still not completely over his problems, finds he can conduct a relationship with the only waitress, played by Helen Hunt, at the local diner who will serve him. So, yes, this is the this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. Um, I saw this when I was like 10 mm -hmm. and I didn't really understand a lot of what was going on. It's a pretty complicated film. It's, it has a really complicated... Uh, the, the relationships between all the characters are really fucking complicated. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to understand like why they are the way they are. Yeah. And why they relate to each other um, the way they do. But it was a really good introduction for me um, on like OCD and like 
why like how deeply can affect people like Mm -hmm. it can change your entire personality sure um and i just i think it's a really good maybe not a good representation of like all you know all aspects of ocd sure because he's pretty mild (laughs) in the grand scheme of things yeah um but i think that it's a good representation of how mental illness can affect your life and can change who you are fundamentally if if you're not able to get a handle on it Um, oh totally uh so yeah so watching it kind of like had that effect on me so it's been like a really like i've been very fond of this movie for a very long time i'm also very into i'm i'm a big like animal actors fan um (laughs) jill the dog is uh, a plus a plus i would love love the dog's autograph Uh, sadly, that dog is probably passed. I know, it's probably God. passed on. This was 1997. Dogs live for maybe 16 years at the most. Yeah, like, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, well, but that does mean that Jill the dog might have been alive within the past decade. That's true. Jill the is, dog. Poor one out for Jill the dog. <laughs> um, if you know, if you knew Jill the dog. If you know any of Jill the, do- Jill the dog's descendants. Yeah, yeah uh hit, hit us up hit us maybe up maybe we'll want to adopt anyway i'm just a big like i'm a big like animal actors advocate no big totally fan. dr doolittle blew me away this was 10 out of 10 animal acting in this movie uh-huh, i think uh-huh. second only to uh the dog in once upon a time in hollywood oh yeah <laughs> excellent animal actor absolutely incredible. best actor in the whole movie honestly uh, maybe maybe <laughs> okay back back to as good as it gets um this movie this is not the first time in Jack Nicholson's career where he's like an anti-hero because mm-hmm. that's what his whole fucking career is built on. That's that's him. That's but I think is. that this movie is a really cl- like very clear cut example of that and his acting style because um, at this point he's super seasoned. You know, it's 1997. Oh, he's seasoned. All right. But Melvin Udall is just like this deplorable fucking human being. And yet you're so captivated by him and so interested in him the whole time. I just want to like know more, even though he's absolutely horrible and like racist and homophobic. Yo, and- so racist, so homophobic. <laughs> like you watch this and you think, how am I supposed to like this guy? Um, I love that. Di- like the two sides to him are this fucking insane. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say insane because he actually has like OCD, but he's mm-hmm. just like so wild yeah. and like, angry and mean and and he's a bigot and he's a racist and he Mm -hmm. and he's a homophobe and yet he's able to pull off these incredible romantic moments and deliver this like sweep you off your feet like mentality and it's believable and he has these two really glorious sides to him where he's so deep as a character that you want to know more and the second that you fall all the way in you realize that he's a person like a real human fucking being with feelings and he's lonely and he's sad and he knows that the way that he treats people is not always okay (laughs) yeah that's i think that's one of the really really impressive parts of this story first of all because a character like that is not easy to write Mm -mm. um but also part of his performance because a character like this is also not easy to act is that like you know you can see his shame a lot of the time um you can see that he knows that people are not responding well to his behavior or Mm -hmm. what he's doing Mm -hmm. but it's almost like he's just like he's so used to 
being this way that it's almost easier and he just writes it off as like this is just me like the default yeah right? but it's he, easier yeah exactly but he knows he knows that it's wrong and he knows that people actively dislike him and mm-hmm. that he's saying rude shit mm-hmm. but he still does it but it's really really interesting how like uh, we talk all the time about acting with the eyes mm-hmm. you can still see in his eyes that like he, he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. He knows that people don't like him. Um, not only that, but like in all the scenes where he's in the diner and, and mm-hmm. um, the empathy that Carol shows him really kind of um, throws him for a loop sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. almost like expected, right? Like a lot of what his character is, is like somewhat like a barking dog almost. And the, and the barking dog only stops when it gets fed. Yeah. Um, and the thing about Jack Nicholson is, Again, like with the eyes, right? We're always talking about the actors with yes. actors who know how to act with eyes. Um, you can see that a lot of the times he's all he's fighting that internal struggle mm-hmm. of trying to not let his illness overcome him. Yeah. While at the same time, want like wanting to be better, but not thinking that he actually can be. Yeah. So the em- the empathy and the compassion that he gets from Carol throughout the entire film, honestly, because she's kind of his only real quote-unquote friend he doesn't have any other friends mm-hmm. um you can tell that he really struggles with that because he doesn't know like sort of like where to place her affection or what where to place her her compassion or where to place her empathy because a lot of the times you see him like almost like give in to his illness because it's so big in his brain that he has nowhere else to go like you can see him get so uncomfortable in the diner when like his seat's not there for him or he forgot his silverware mm-hmm. or the the food's not right or, or he doesn't get the same the same waitress every time like something's wrong and you can tell that it's really fucking bothering him yeah i think the reason why i'm so fascinated by their dynamic and why i love helen hunt in this so much is because she's the only person in the movie who will like call him on his bullshit yeah and challenge him to be a better person on right. top of it. Because up until this point, like, yeah, he gets into fights with Greg Kinnear. Yeah, he gets into fights with Cooper Gooding Jr. But, like, nobody turns around and says, I know that you can be different. Right. They don't see that he has any sort of potential. They just say, like, you are who you are and that fucking sucks ass. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you the way that you are? Exactly. And she she doesn't understand him. But she also knows that, like, there's no way that this person is only this. No. Um, which I think I think that that character dynamic brings was able to bring out something really, really lovely in his acting performance. Oh, totally. Um, not only that, but like <laughs> Carol. <laughs> Carol, a.k.a. <laughs> Helen Hunt. Aka Helen Hunt. <laughs> um, in this film, she has a son who I think has like really severe asthma. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he can't breathe all the time. Uh, and I think that a lot of a lot of what her character is based on is kind of just like survival. And I think like beneath the layers of the layers and layers of like survival and, and like being a caretaker is this like this woman who is incredibly lonely and like wants wants someone to be there for her. And so I think with her character, it really surprises her when she figures out kind of throughout the film that she is low-key in love with Jack Nicholson's character. Yeah, which is really interesting. It is very, very interesting, which is why I wanted to bring it up because I don't... (laughs) It it, While it is believable, I don't necessarily think 
it was the only way to end the movie. I, I also don't think that. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think that it needed to happen that way. Uh, even though they're obviously because they're incredible actors, Jack Nicholson and, and Helen Hunt, they have incredible chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think that that was like the way. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the reasons why it ended that way is because he is a romance writer. Absolutely. And yet he has no romance in his life. Mm-hmm. So it's a lovely sort of like bow on top of the present uh, for yes. this uh, yes. for his story to end in love. Romance. However, Carol has this whole thing about she says it over and over again like why can't i just have a normal boyfriend right why can't i just find like a normal fucking guy and you know i i feel that i feel that carol (laughs) not like not like in my own life i mean like i i I, I understand what she means like and so why why couldn't she have just had a normal of course of course she fell in love my question like why why did that have to happen of course it was melvin (laughs) of course course it was was melvin udall udall (laughs) um cuba gooding jr plays uh like um the character simon's agent yeah his art agent uh, which i just find so fucking funny because he's so like sassy in this film he's like fuck you you're gonna take care of this guy because your fucking fault (laughs) and then because um simon in the movie he is a gay man who lives across the hall from uh jack nicholson's character Mm -hmm. melvin uh and obviously jack nicholson is incredibly homophobic and is constantly like berating him Mm -hmm. and uh you know talking shit about him and his dog he has this like adorable little dog we sure already talked about jill the dog um <laughs> verdell verdell what are we gonna do about verdell <laughs> <laughs> um and unfortunately simon is the victim of a hate crime he gets yes. beat up by um, skeet ulrich <laughs> the names in this movie fuck me up by skeet ulrich of scream fame (laughs) uh and he so yeah so he gets beat up and the sort of like the blame so to speak kind of falls on everyone's shoulders for not necessarily like taking good care of him he's alone Mm -hmm. he's kind of alone alone in the world um and almost invisible to anyone who isn't like an artist or a friend Mm -hmm. um especially his parents uh and i think that you know cuba gooding jr's character who again is simon's art art agent man Mm -hmm. uh immediately gives verdell to to melvin and Mm -hmm. is like take care of this dog you better take care of simon this is your responsibility now because you're his neighbor and that's what neighbors fucking do you asshole Mm -hmm. um and i just i love cuba gooding jr in that moment with jack nicholson because only cuba Gooding jr could make jack nicholson look like a fucking idiot (laughs) um because jack nicholson is just standing there like with his dick in his head being like what what i don't i I, okay and then then on top of it it's just so much funnier because he does end up forming this like truly adorable relationship with this dog yeah he to the point where when he has to give the dog back to simon Mm -hmm. he's like Un- emotionally like unable to yeah he has a really hard time like coping with that yeah which is why it's so great that they eventually move in together <laughs> <laughs> i just 
I love, I think this is one of Greg Kinnear's best performances as well. I, I love him as an actor, but this character, Simon, is just so sweet and so like othered by the world. And he's someone who just like doesn't, genuinely doesn't see how people can have bad in them, which is why when he encounters Jack Nicholson, he's so just like, he's very like stumped by him because he's just like how how can you be as mean as you are yeah um but then eventually they bond over i think like their otherness because society has kind of othered them in a lot of ways and i do think that the presence of greg kinnear makes jack nicholson like want to be a better person yeah because he sees how like helen hunt responds to simon Mm -hmm. and he wants that and Mm -hmm. he goes well he's a nice guy and she responds really well to how nice he is so maybe i should be better yeah exactly um i think that jack nicholson in this film like just as an actor with his performance he's so generous because there are so many fucking stars in this film yeah like not a lot of people talk about this film very often um and i think that this is like kind of i I wouldn't necessarily call it an ensemble cast because jack nicholson is very much the lead yeah but i do think like he's very generous with the people around him in terms of like his giving as an actor Mm -hmm. and people are able to like bounce off of him really well. And he's able to bounce off of those actors really really well. And I think that whoever fucking cast this movie was a fucking genius (laughs) and they all are so seasoned. They're all like seasoned fucking pros and they all totally bounce off of each other so well and compliment each other in the areas, like in the crevices that they, that they don't have something they like give it to the other actor. It's really cool to watch these actors like work with each other and especially Jack Nicholson being the lead, how he responds to all of them and like takes it all in and like gives everything back. It's really fucking cool. I think that a lot of people think it's a given to watch a movie and be like, Oh, I'm going to believe that these characters are these people, Mm -hmm. but like, it's not. No, it's really hard. (laughs) It's, it's hard sometimes to separate the actor from the character. Um, or rather to not separate the actor from the character to believe that they are one person in that moment. And this movie, no question. No. Um, they all just like slip so seamlessly into those roles. And it's 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 a long movie, but it's really, really rewarding. Yeah, it is two and a half hours long. But I will say like, if you're going to watch any of these Jack Nicholson films, I would honestly say like, please watch as good as, as good as it gets. Just so you can see, like, I think that this is a really incredible representation of the range that he mm-hmm. has within just even a single story like yeah. just within a single film like he has incredible range um that you don't necessarily see in all in a bunch of different different films because he would be like a character actor or he's like the anti-hero this is very much like i think like the essence of what jack nicholson can, nicholson can do is in this film yeah I also think they all got Oscar nominations for this. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, The other thing that I will say uh, about this film before we wrap up this film uh, is I fucking love the score. (laughs) The score in this film is like I I rarely like think of a lot of the times like when I'm when I'm like listening to a score, sometimes I'll compare it to like this score because Mm -hmm. I think that it's I think the score is by Hans Zimmer. it's brilliant i think it it embodies like the like whimsy that um that the film sort of like exhibits and then also has like a really serious romantic quality to it 
and also makes me feel like New York, like this is New York. Like it's really, it's really nice. It's a really good score. No, totally. I, I think you really nailed it um, with how to describe the movie in general is that like it is a very real story not in the sense that it's like something that would happen to you mm-hmm. but like these people are very like as real as you can get and as yet there real. is like there is an element of like whimsy and play to the whole thing um that is really really fun and yeah. it's just a really rewarding watch i always thought that this could make a really great play it's very it's yeah, got that I think, feel. I think if you could pare down the locations, uh-huh. yeah, it feels very theatrical in in how the characters are and how they speak to each other. And they're very like there's so much depth to them mm-hmm. um that I feel like a like an in-person experience with with actors playing these characters would be very rewarding just yeah. because the film is so rewarding. I agree. Um uh, enough gushing about as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, ladies and gentlefish crusty crew all folks let's talk about <laughs> the dark horse of, of this of these three <laughs> let's talk about jack nicholson as a senior citizen in love in, in the a, hamptons in a rom-com in a rom-com in a nancy myers rom-com in a nancy myers rom-com and you see his ass yeah, so you see jack nicholson's bare buns uh let's talk about something's gotta give let's take it away monica 2003 baby the year of the rom-com written and directed by nancy myers harry sanborn played by jack nicholson is a 63 year old music industry executive with a fondness for younger women like Marin, played by amanda pete his latest trophy girl gold old friend <laughs> Things get a little awkward when when Harry suffers a heart attack at the home of Marin's mother, Erica, played by the beautiful, the illustrious <laughs> Diane Keaton. The queen. Left in the care of Erica and his doctor, Julian, played by Keanu fucking Reeves, <laughs> a love triangle starts to take shape. Let me... Whoa. I want to... Because I don't want to harp too much on Keanu Reeves in the discussion of this movie. Keanu Reeves is not good in this movie no but this is a big but he's absolutely entertaining as fuck i love him in this movie and i feel that that's kind of how keanu reeves's entire career is is that he's not that great on a technical level but god is he enjoyable god is he entertaining (laughs) god is he handsome Ooh, so especially in this movie um in this movie, so the way that I see it, he he does what he's supposed to do in this movie. Yeah, which is all you like can really ask. Candy. Which is all you can really ask of Keanu Reeves in two thousand three, <laughs> like <laughs> or ever, or ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, just oh, the setting. They're in the Hamptons. They're in a house bigger than like the fucking United States of America. It's a huge Hamptons house. And also the opening sequence of this movie is like fucking iconic. Truly. Anytime I hear that song, the come my lady, come, yep. come my lady. Yep. I think of this movie. This is the movie. Because it's just a fucking montage of hot women walking around New York. Yep. And then Jack Nicholson's creepy voiceover it's comes like, on hey. and he just goes, <laughs> younger woman. This is a, uh, this has been what I've been doing for the past 40 years is dating younger women. Um, first of all, what an incredible premise. You don't necessarily see like older, older love stories very often. No. Um, to like older, an older women and an older man 
or older people falling in love in their old age. You don't Le- see that. Leave it to often. Nancy Myers. She's done it a couple times and it's, it's true. incredible. And every single time she hits the nail right on the head. Nails it. Ah! Um, <laughs> in this movie, Jack Nicholson plays like this music man. He plays the music man. He's the music man. The music man. The music man. <laughs> and he marries Marion the librarian. Um, no, but he's with this girl named Marin, who happens to be the daughter of Diane Keaton's character, Erica mm-hmm. Berry, who is a playwright who lives in the Hamptons. She's apparently the most successful fucking playwright of in the all world. time. Because I, last I heard, being in theater didn't get you that much money. No. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, which is so fucking funny Maybe to me. Maybe she's supposed to be like the Lin-Manuel Miranda of her time. I really don't think that's the case, my friend. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out a way in which she could have as much money as she does. And her husband's like a theater director, so you know like he don't got money. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just one of those things where you sort of have to let it go. Suspend your disbelief. You'll have to suspend your disbelief. But anyway, regardless, she has like writer's block and is like really uptight mm-hmm. and was just divorced. And she has like in her own Diane Keaton way is very like... um uh neurotic and mm-hmm. also uptight at the same time uh which i find to be very jarring like she's a very jarring character yeah and diane keaton plays her very well um and is both ballsy and also incredibly conservative and reserved mm-hmm. um and jack nicholson is obviously like this really fucking skeevy dude uh he is just constantly like on the prowl for young women he's just got like this super cool but weird sex appeal which i feel like has always been his brand he's fucking 84 years old and he still has this like weird (laughs) something it's so bizarre (laughs) i think it's like i would describe it as more of like a magnetism than anything else yeah, yeah like i wouldn't even describe it as like sex appeal i would literally just call it like he has like a magnetism to it yeah he has the most insane like charisma Yes, it's it, it's it's crazy. Um. Anyway, they sort of like the reason why they like <laughs> the reason why they even cross paths is because he's dating her daughter. Yes. Right. Amanda, um, Pete, who I think is probably like 35 years younger than him. So young. <laughs> so young. Um, and the fucker has like a heart attack. Yeah. So they're about to fuck. Kind of. Mm, well, kind they're of. fooling around. Well, yeah. And he's like, let me get some champagne. Yeah, they're fooling around. They're listening to Marvin Gaye. Uh-huh. And, and Frances McDormand is like, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Fran- so Frances McDormand plays Diane Keaton's sister. Which is, which, like, at this at this point in time, like, Frances McDormand had already done Fargo. Yeah, like, she Frances was, like, McDormand so is famous. A, she's a leading lady, and she plays the fucking sister who probably has... 10 minutes of screen time total. She's the Judy Greer in this in movie. In a Nancy Myers movie. Like, what is happening? I, I fucking love her. But, like, this is the first movie I had ever seen Frances McDormand in. Because, <sighs> cut to two, like, let's rewind to 2003. I'm eight years old. Uh-huh, yeah. I've never f- even heard of fucking Fargo. You're stunning. So I'm watching Something's Gotta Give. Of course you are. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this lady? Only to come to find out later, she's an incredibly famous actress. Yes, she's a Meryl. She's a Meryl. She's a fucking Meryl. And she plays Diane Keaton's sister. Who has, like, again, like, ten minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. And she, like, slaps Diane Keaton's ass during Marvin Gaye. It's, she's like, Marvin Gaye, slap, slap. And Diane Keaton's like, oh, oh, my goodness. Frances McDormand. She uh, does. I think, though, like, her, her character is really, really fun in the, like, 
in, in, in almost like the exposition portion of the movie. Right. Where they're like explaining the dynamics, explaining all of the character backgrounds. Right, right, right. Because she's the one who is pushy enough to ask questions. Right. And she's pushy enough to go like, Jack Nicholson, what the fuck are you actually about? Right. And then you find out, um, which without that information, he would just seem like an, ass- an asshole the whole time. A nasty asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you nasty man. Um, it's just so fucking funny because so Jack Nicholson plays a character in this film who's like very set in his ways, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, when does he not? <laughs> when That's his brand. That's his brand. Uh, and he's so he's very like fucking set in his ways. And he... I never thought, at least like the first time I ever watched this movie, I didn't really know what it was about because I too was a youngin when I first watched this movie. Mm-hmm. I think I was like nine or something uh, when I popped it in from Blockbuster. <laughs> May it rest in peace. Rest in peace, uh, But I truly did not understand that this movie was about like two old people Mm -hmm. quote-unquote old people falling in love i was like oh like this is about him and like the daughter and like maybe the mom will like be accepting or not like (laughs) i thought that was the whole vibe um yep because jack nicholson from the very beginning is incredibly set in his ways and you don't ever for a second believe that he is capable of loving an older woman like it's impossible or being with or having sex with or hanging out with like it's just not his mo yeah period end of discussion and the fact that he's a fucking rap god (laughs) he owns drive-by records (laughs) which i'm just like racist 2003 come through oh yeah it's it's interesting though obviously i don't know jack nicholson uh because spoiler he's not actually he's a close not oh yeah in pod. case you guys thought that he was a friend of the pod in case i was that believable he's not he's not actually. i've never been to his house i don't know that he does like pilgrim and native american uh sketches when it's thanksgiving, thanksgiving time. time yeah i so i i know nothing about who he is as like a real person but if i were to imagine what jack nicholson is like in real life his role in this movie feels closest to what he probably oh, is like yeah. he just feels like he's having a great fucking time in this mm-hmm. movie which le- that kind of makes me because I, I would think, like, why is Jack Nicholson in a Nancy Myers movie? That's not to say that Nancy <laughs> Myers movies are trash. I love them. But he's a very highbrow actor. Um, and so him being in this movie, it was kind of a, a, a surprise. Mm-hmm. But it really was just, like, a chance for him to play. Yeah. To do something, like, a different. little different and yet very close to himself, it seems. Mm-hmm. And to act opposite Diane Keaton, which is great i don't think that this is the first movie they had been in together i don't think so but either. them as as lovers as senior citizen lovers <laughs> is <laughs> oh god it's just so fun oh my gosh they're i just want to very quickly talk about like their dynamic and their energy like they are so their chemistry is impeccable it, it's crazy it's it's like i i can think of no other word other than bombastic <laughs> because like i have never ever in my life up and like you know had seen anyone that age like when i was like 10 obviously yeah. <laughs> i'm a grown now and i know what the world looks like um <laughs> but at that point i was like i'd never seen 
anyone that age like play like that and like experience joy in that way um especially not like divorcees and yeah. especially not like someone like jack nicholson who at that point in time i had seen in the shining i'm like how does that make any <laughs> sense no totally and i just i just really quickly wanted to say like it really like opened the doors for me on like how people can act mm-hmm no matter what age they are. Yeah. And I think that specifically like with the story of like an uptight woman who had to sort of like learn to fend for herself again after a divorce. Yeah. Like that really made me, it really just like opened my eyes to like a whole new world of like, you know, life isn't just like your twenties. <laughs> like that's just not what it is. No, it's, it goes for, far beyond that. And you can find yourself and evolve at any stage of your life it really doesn't matter yeah like like being shown that falling in love and having fun sex at an older age like like being told that those aren't just young experiences Mm -hmm. is really really important and it's weird because i think when people think of the film industry they're like oh like it's getting so much more progressive right but i think when it comes to age oh no no i i genuinely think it's a bit regressive yeah um because you look back at some of these stories we talked about it a little bit when we talked about beaches on the bet midler episode Mm -hmm. like that story would have been 20 year olds today oh yeah i think today this story would have been 40 year olds and in this it's like a late 50s and then early 60s man Mm -hmm. and that this is almost 20 years ago at this point and i just don't see those kinds of stories in terms of age coming around anymore and if i do it has a more like tragic edge to it right which (laughs) this is just fun yes like this is just just fun this is just it exists in its own bubble of just like fun and like here's a glimpse into what Mm -hmm. quote-unquote dating because it's not really dating at that point in your life no is like as an older person like in an older body like walking around the world through the eyes of like an older soul like that's just what it is and a lot of the times like you would think like okay let's just take like how young people have sex or Mm -hmm. how young people experience relationships and put it like and just make them older yeah you would think that that's what happened but that's not what happened that's that is not what nancy myers did no she said let's take those experiences and put them through the lens of an older couple Mm -hmm. or like older people that are dating and like seeing all those like little quirks of of you know diane keaton being like let's we have to take your blood pressure before we like have sex. <laughs> it's the responsible thing to do yeah um and then like not being able to see anything because of their because they yeah, need glasses so they swap each other's reading glasses and like that is the equivalent of like i don't know a young person doing something else to yeah. that extent and it's like it's very cool to see their world not just be like mm-hmm okay let's take a young person's perspective and like put it in just older bodies like that's just not what it was it was truly like this is the older experience and let's make that fun and let's make that like cool and like let let's let's glimpse into that versus the other thing well the decision to have all of the to have the inciting incident of this movie be a heart attack (laughs) like speak speaks to nancy meyer's philosophy about this you know all on its own Mm -hmm. is that these things happen because someone had a brush with death (laughs) (laughs) like and that's not something that a young person can always relate to i know i sound like 
silly saying this as a 25 year old and being mm-hmm. like mm, young people don't think that way <laughs> but it's true you but think you're true. invincible they don't like you i, I know enough invincible. to think that like uh, that would never happen to me right now mm-hmm. you know um i just i just fucking love this movie i love all of the relationships in this movie i think a wonderful addition was keanu reeves I to agree. have to not just have this kind of like young old love story but also <laughs> to have the the older woman being pursued by this like oh, really hot yeah. young man that was just like a really added like a nice little extra for and Nancy. it's not like it's not like the graduate style it's no. very like real and like rooted in like oh he loves her writing yeah and like that's the in that is what like opens her up to like sort of see him as a potential like suitor as a, or as a potential partner because they obviously like get kind of engaged at the end but then don't (laughs) well because when when he's talking to jack nicholson about like jack nicholson comes in for his checkup Mm -hmm. and keanu reeves asks about diane keaton and he doesn't say like well i think she's so hot he says well i find her like incredibly fascinating yes um which that's fucking how it should be absolutely that's how relationships should be i mean obviously there's an element of finding each other attractive absolutely absolutely but like he is so into her mind and captivated by her talent creatively Mm -hmm. so it's not creepy no it's not because they all you can tell like the setup is oh he only really sees her abilities he only sees her talent and that is the like the little people that like opens up into a window Mm -hmm. of him liking her like entire person yeah um but anyway specifically about about jack nicholson in this film he is such a chameleon because i think that if he truly wasn't this like i agree with you when you said like this is probably as close to like the the real jack nicholson tm that we'll probably ever (laughs) see um if he's not like this i will be incredibly surprised and i will Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm flat out calling him a fucking chameleon because i the um like how do you even like get into that fucking place i don't understand it i don't get like the way he's able to really easily like slither into something like that like yeah just some slinky sleazy guy who is and they say it in the movie he's incredibly soulful at times yeah like he just switches immediately and like goes into like you know monologuing to diane keaton about how beautiful she is and how he like there's no one like her and he's like using all these incredible like all these incredible words and and very like different vocabulary to describe exactly the effect that she has on him Mm -hmm. and like i'll be fucking damned if that's not if that's not jack nicholson (laughs) irl at the real jack nicholson (laughs) well i mean like it's just one of those things like i would be impressed either way because it's hard to play someone as if they're just yourself right but it's also hard to play yourself that's true when you have decades of experience not playing yourself Mm -hmm. and all all of a sudden to be given a role where it's like just act normal like that's fucking hard it's also (laughs) hard to like to believably act like your character is cool with everything Mm -hmm. like like just look at like all of the relationships that specifically Jack Nicholson's character has. He has to be so charismatic that he attracts younger women Mm -hmm. and he has to be so soulful and so experienced enough to be able to like go head to head with Diane Keaton's character and Mm -hmm. be able to give advice to Diane Keaton's, you know, daughter and to be able to 
be like at the end of the movie like a family man like in order to to play all these different roles you have to come from like a place of truth and i think that jack nicholson specifically like the way that he sort of like handles that and switches from like role to role with just within this movie is seamless you know i just i think of that scene where he is like talking to uh Marin who is what's her face Pete Amanda, char- Pete. Amanda Pete's character mm-hmm. who plays obviously the daughter of Diane Keaton bless and they're <laughs> like on the Hampton Beach and yeah. like they're breaking up yeah yeah or like Marin is like I'm I'm breaking up with him yeah, yeah but then as she starts talking to her mother in the kitchen she's like wait he's a fucking genius he broke up with me yeah by saying all of these incredible things about how like we should like like we were destined to be friends and like all of this crap and in my mind I'm like that's so brilliant because I believe that I yeah. believe that that comes from Jack Nicholson's character because Jack Nicholson can so seamlessly switch from role to role he is brilliant yeah i mean but and at the same time he maintains the same sort of like blind spots in his character like oh my god that scene outside of the restaurant um one of the most iconic scenes in the movie so good where uh, he he's on a date with a younger woman and diane keaton happens to be in the same restaurant and she sees him and this is after this is after they've had their like romantic weekend this is after they've told each other that they love each other um, and he's gone back to the city because he has healed from his heart attack. And she sees him and she like loses it and runs out of the restaurant. He runs after her. And he's just like, as as in tune as he is with women in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. this is the area that he is not. He's totally blind. And he says like, I'm not good at being a boyfriend. And she's just like fucking done. She's over she's, it. She's just like, how at our age, how can you think that that's what I was ever asking you to be? Like you're in, you're insane. You're an idiot. She's like, this is real genuine love. And then she does it. Oh God. She, she kisses him. And then she says like, this is heartbroken. This is heartbroken. And she just like, like flish fish flops into the fucking cab. And then she just gets into a cab and goes away. And he has an anxiety (laughs) attack. And, like as old as he is as experienced as he is as seasoned as he is he still doesn't fucking know that like this is what happens when you have genuine feelings for someone because he's never had genuine feelings for someone exactly he's always kept people at arm's length Mm -hmm. and just the fucking montage of fucking diane keaton crying and (laughs) sobbing and riding her play so good it's so good and then she'd like start laughing for a second and then all of a sudden start it's so good oh, oh my what God. a brilliant movie you gotta watch this movie there's nothing bad about this movie there's nothing bad I, you know what don't even don't look at the rotten tomato score <laughs> don't look at any of it no Just because watch you'll movie. enjoy it you'll love it you'll watch it and be like fuck yeah <laughs> like jack nicholson diane keaton sign me the fuck up mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in the hamptons baby it's in the city baby they ended in paris baby oh yeah there's a baby baby at the end there is a ba- that's the only thing about this movie that doesn't make sense is that timeline i know the time it's only been wild. six months since him and Marin broke up and she's married with a baby uh she Weird. must have gotten pregnant like at her honeymoon she must have like gotten married after they meeting must, someone for three months they must have gotten married real quick and then immediately gotten pregnant a hundred percent yeah we stand anyway 
So I guess that's Jack Nicholson for now. That's Jack Nicholson for now. Yeah. That's the real Jack. That's going to be at, <laughs> at the real Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Instagram.com slash the real Jack Nicholson. So Monica. Yes. What have you dabbled in? I have dabbled in soliloquisms with my school. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's Halloween. I thought I would give a Halloween dabble. Um, I am going as Hamlet this year. That's cute. It's just and by me. going, you mean sitting in your house? Yeah, my kitchen mostly. Okay. And that's that's about it. That's good. It is me, Skull. <laughs> and it is I, Bones. <laughs> and we together we are Skull and Bones. And also, Mr. Hamlet and smaller Hamlet the Junior. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what have you dabbled in? Um, this not Halloween. a whole lot, but... I'm going to do a shameless plug here for a moment. Ooh, is it spooky? Is it Halloween themed? It is actually. Incredible. So you can hear my voice on another podcast called Lucid, which my episode came out yesterday, I think. I think so. Or the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was co-created by our sound guy, Aaron. Our sound guy. And my voice is on one of the episodes. Jessica's voice. It's a spooky podcast. Um, the episodes are short, like 15 minutes. So you guys should go listen. Go listen. That's the Lucid Podcast. I yeah. think the Instagram is at Lucid Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> uh, and uh, enjoy. It's yeah. on, I think it's on Spotify and it Apple is. Podcasts. It's on all of them. It's go check them out. Everything. Go check it out. Yeah. Woo. So we also have a question this week. Oh, who, who a asked real this live question? question? So this is from Allison. Incredible. And she says, can you walk through your process of how you watch the films you talk about? What's your approach and what do you look for? What are you taking notes on? Whoa, Allison. Whoa. So I guess like all, all the pro- steps of the process. Are you trying to make a podcast and rip <laughs> our podcast off? Is that, what, is that what you're asking this question? <laughs> so I guess, so how we pick the films is... How we pick the daddies and how we pick the films is a little arbitrary. It's also very separate. It's, yeah. So first we pick the daddy and it's really me and Monica either in the same room or texting going, who do we feel? Like, who feels Um, right? Okay. The honest answer to the question is it is some kind of vibe that we get. Yeah. Like, for example, we both adore Meryl Streep. Yes, yes, yes. If you are a talented actress and of and are nearing the same caliber, we will call that actress a Meryl. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Meryl Streep is the standard by which mm-hmm. we go about our lives and <laughs> go and go about critiquing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the times is like with that with that specific example. Yeah, we were like, no, not yet. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, no, it doesn't feel right. Um, or when we were deciding to do Sandra, right? We were like. I want someone with a like a Julia Roberts vibe, like a girl next door in America's Sweetheart mm-hmm. vibe, but, but not, not Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I will argue that it is not arbitrary because we do make a very conscious. I mean, there, there is thought. <laughs> <laughs> we do make a very conscious decision about why mm-hmm. we should do specific daddies, why certain people should be going next. Like if we do someone really like really big or really white, we would mm-hmm. love to like mix it up yeah. and make sure that we have a little bit of diversity with each with each episode while also staying true to what we actually feel like we want to talk mm-hmm. about because at the end of the day if we do someone that we don't want to talk about, we don't do it. Yeah. Like even if we get close enough like 
you know, to the edge of the Y or to the, what we've, is it? We've canceled <laughs> daddy's day of. Yeah. Day of. We'll like, we'll like just sit down and be like, you know what? It doesn't feel yeah, it right. Just it's just not the time. Um, and because we turn around this podcast pretty dang quickly, we yeah. kind of just really go with the flow. And if there's any sort of like person, any daddy that really has, has impacted us for the week, mm-hmm. we'll tell, we'll tell each other and be like, we have to do this person. Yeah. Um, so that's choosing the daddy in terms of choosing the movie. <laughs> that is a lot less, uh, vibey than, yeah. than choosing the daddy. That's it. Well, first we just kind of go off of the first three that we think of, which mm-hmm. tend to be the biggest because or or the biggest or the most niche or sometimes the, yeah. it's like it, it's it's the biggest like pendulum swing ever yeah so we'll just like pick the three that we think of and then go through their filmography and go like is there any like massive blind spot because mm-hmm. like on the one hand this podcast is just why we like mm-hmm. the actors mm-hmm. um and the work that we like them for but at the same time you can't fucking talk about I don't know. Like, who's who's a good example, Monica? Um, I guess, I mean, a good example would just be Jack Nicholson. You can't talk about Jack Nicholson without talking about The Shining. Sure, okay. Yeah. Like, like, we, like we mentioned earlier, there are millions of movies, not millions, but like there, are, <laughs> there are so many movies that we could talk about yeah. um, when it comes to Jack Nicholson. Or another really good example is like Tom Hanks, right? Sure. We could, you know, when we eventually do the Tom Hanks episode, which, you know, the vibe has to be right it, it do. <laughs> once again, um, you cannot talk about Tom Hanks without talking about Forrest Gump. Yes. Period. Exactly. End. Like, end of discussion. Whether or not you like that movie, whether or not, like, we necessarily, like, feel very strongly about that, about that movie, which we do. Yeah. It's fucking good. Um, we still have to talk about it because it is, like, a career maker. Yeah. Um, because our podcast focuses on the daddy, right? Mm-hmm. We focus on the actor. We focus on the actress. We focus on the person in front of the camera and oftentimes behind the camera. And that sole individual person if they have something that is that is incredibly significant to their career, yeah, like what really put them on the map, then we have, then we have to, to do, do it. it. Mo- obviously, most of the time, it's movies that we love. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's not, and sometimes yeah. we have to dig and find things that we appreciate about that movie or and about their performance. And we talk about it anyway. Like Brendan Fraser and the Mummy. Like Brendan Fraser and the Mummy. <laughs> exactly. Which is another incredible, incredible um, example of yeah. like how we choose the movies. Of course we had to do the mummy. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course we did. Exactly. And then we got to choose much more niche uh performances by him, which made us happy. It's a win win all around for everyone. Yeah. So we just take those like initial like knee jerk decisions and we put them through a filter of like what are we what are we missing that we have to do? Yeah. Um and if there's too many that we have to do, then it becomes a two parter. Or, or if their career is so long or so expansive over genres and years then of course we'll we'll separate it out a little absolutely. bit absolutely um, um not only that but you know to sort of like wrap up like how we choose the movies mm-hmm. we also like tend to be very selective with the kinds of movies if they were made during a time period or if they were made through a lens that we do not personally agree with sure we really try not to do those kinds of movies yeah um like if for example if jack nicholson had come out with like a, a weirdly racist film 
we probably wouldn't have done it. No, I mean, there there are movies that we didn't do. Oh, like when we did Sandra Bullock, we didn't talk about The Blind Side. Yeah, we didn't talk about The Blind Side. Why? Um, we released that episode really close to, you know, all the, all of the Black Lives Matter protests mm-hmm. and their protests that, like, you know, I've been to. And it's, it's, it's a cause that, like, we believe in yeah. generally. Like, we think that <laughs> we think that black people should, I don't know, matter. <laughs> um, so it's really difficult to talk about you know a white savior movie in that Mm -hmm. way when the world has changed so rapidly and we no longer believe in that movie anymore and if we don't believe in that movie we can't openly talk about that movie yeah because it's not like her performance is bad or that the movie itself is a bad movie it's just a white savior movie it's overdone it's not important anymore it's not important and why would we want to talk about something that we don't believe in and we don't think is relevant anymore and that's tea (laughs) and And then i guess to what do we look for what do we take notes on uh, everything anything anything we notice that's impressive i mean it it helps that monica and i are both actors or were both actors have done <laughs> acting um, and jessica is still an actor <laughs> call her up eight one i'm kidding <laughs> um it, it that helps i also i mean like i studied theater in school i mm-hmm. studied film to an extent in school so like you know you know what an acting choice looks like if that makes sense yeah and you know what a directing choice looks like if we're talking about a filmmaker daddy um and i think that a lot of it a lot of it just comes from like us being inherently creative people Mm -hmm. whether or not so like the whole like hook of the podcast is like "Eh, we love films and if you didn't go to film school and you love films too then you like (laughs) this um that's like the whole hook and the reality is we did not go to film school and a lot of our opinions are just that our opinions but we i i would strongly you know i would strongly argue that we our opinions do hold some merit because we do pay attention yeah and we are we are incredibly passionate about these films we watch them every single week yes there Uh, are oftentimes we're watching six movies a week and that shit is crazy. <laughs> um, and and we pay attention. And like Jessica said, we do have backgrounds in the arts. You know, we have backgrounds in performing arts. We have backgrounds in directing. We have backgrounds mm-hmm. in um, in film. Like we we know what to look for, and we know what looks good, whether or not we're good at it. <laughs> Yeah, whether or not we execute it very well it's also just like when you're watching something you know when you enjoy it and when you don't it's just taking that feeling and taking it one step further and going why yeah um and i also just encourage you to you know the next time that you watch a movie instead of just like watching it for entertainment purposes or for pleasure mm-hmm. maybe try and like see what you can you can get out of that movie mm-hmm. performance wise or directing wise or like what pick something in the movie to focus on and try it like i'm certain that any of you could do this 100 percent. yeah like whether you do it like whether you journal it or you like you 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 talk about it with a friend like if you find yourself talking about films at like parties with friends Mm -hmm. that this is just that this is what we're doing we're just doing it in a in podcast form yeah and for some reason some people listen (laughs) yeah you all have favorite movies and you all have favorite actors and filmmakers a lot of you um there are reasons why you like those things it just you know take take your thought process a little bit farther and just start thinking of like okay well 
why i I like this character do i like them because of how the other characters relate to it do i like them because of the choices that they're making etc etc a lot of it is just like asking the question of why yeah why do we like specific things like why is the is the performance so captivating Mm -hmm. why is the filmmaking the way that it is um and you and you too can be pretentious asshole (laughs) um which is obviously the opposite of what we ever want we think that we honestly like truly we'll listen to a lot of, and we don't actually listen but like you listen to a lot of <laughs> um you know of these like film bros talking about like film yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and that is at the exact opposite of what we want like if you love talking about movies and if you feel passionate about the art of filmmaking and mm-hmm. you just adore acting you adore watching people do it like talk about it you shouldn't feel like it's something that is only reserved to people who quote unquote know what they're talking about because you could know what you're talking about and also be talking completely out of your ass like that's a thing yeah like i think even if you know one film really well your opinions on that film are really valid they matter you don't need, you don't need, you don't need to know the film the other films of that fucking filmmaker in order to have a valid opinion about something or a valuable opinion about something yeah, bro, so. if you like jaws that. go for it go for it talk about jaws <laughs> talk about jaws <laughs> so i get that's a really long answer to this question but it, i mean that's that's our whole process that's it. yeah that's it's, it was really we were playing kind of fast and loose with the <laughs> with the selection process yeah <laughs> um but we are the only thing that i will say to sort of like end this yeah to end to finish this um <laughs> we're very intentional always it's never it's never as arbitrary as we jokingly make it seem uh and that's just sort of the last thing that we'll leave you with yeah a lot of planning does go into this many plans we want you to enjoy it enjoy all right well that's jack nicholson as always don't sue us daddy favreau goodbye happy halloween oh yes goodbye goodbye (laughs)